The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Angel Tarot Show with best-selling author and Angel Tarot expert, Radley Valentine. Plan your week ahead with gentle guidance from your angels, combine with the wisdom of Tarot, and create the magical life you deserve. Hey everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Angel Tarot Show. I am your host, Radley Valentine. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in via mindbodyspirit.fm or whichever podcast service you are currently listening to this from. If you are watching this today on YouTube, then hey, hey, good to see you. So today we have something to talk about that I consider to be very, very important. Uh, I have noticed as of late in my own personal life that um, way more people in my life than I would like to be um, seeing happen are having to make difficult choices about what the future is of their pets because their pets have become unwell or their existence has become unpleasant or unhappy. And then also there is the whole issue, for those of you who have listened to me for the last couple of years know that is a significant thing for me, is the trauma, big T or little t, whichever way you experience it, that occurs in the loss of a pet and how to kind of get past that. So I have two people on the show today. Uh, One of them's name is Pat Blocker. The other one's name is Sarah Pelizari. Did I say that right? I meant to ask that before we started. Okay. (laughs) And they have created a new book called Beyond the Last Walk, Beyond the Last Walk. And it says, saying goodbye, navigating grief and healing after the loss of a dog. Uh, Welcome, ladies. Good to have you here. Hi, good to be here. Yes, thank you for having us. I'm thrilled to have you. I really am. So, Sarah, you are a clinical social worker and a professional dog trainer. Um, and Pat is a professional dog trainer and an animal communicator. So I love the spectrum from which we are coming at this particular topic. We really are going metaphysical to scientific and meeting in the middle between behavioral philosophies when it comes to our beloved pets. Um, Both of you have had situations where you've lost a pet. You know what that experience is like. And um, you have also watched people who have had to try to navigate their way through this. And so somehow the two of you came together. How did that happen? 
We uh, are in another group together with a uh, dog trainer, uh, and uh, she's also what a like like a life coach mm -hmm. for pet a, care professionals for pet care in particular. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, that's how Sarah and I met, and um, we realized that we had both lost dogs within a few months of each other, and that's how this whole idea started. Had you, Pat or Sarah or both, had you thought about this as a concept for a book before, or was this literally just in the, in the talking together um, that it all started to happen? I would definitely say I had not thought about writing a book um, on pet loss before, and honestly hadn't really thought about writing a book, period. I, I think of a book as like a long-term long project, so <laughs> the idea just kind of scared me a little bit. Um, I had thought about, you know, advocating and offering some support for pet loss just within my practice and, you know, as a trainer and just having some type of a group, but my loss at that point was so fresh that I just couldn't even you know, like fathom the idea of holding a group or, or some support for someone else at that point until I had a way to sort of navigate through my own loss. So in short, no, um, I did not plan this. We It sort of just came together. I think Pat would agree. It just kind of, um, we gelled, you know, talking in the group together about uh, the loss of our dogs. And I do think it was Pat's idea. Um, and she thought, it. you know, she's written some books and thought it'd be great if we collaborated on a book for pet loss. I was totally on board with it and was really glad to have someone encouraging and somebody who kind of kept me on track with it. Otherwise, I don't think we would have finished. So so for those who are listening, I, I, I envision in my mind that there are three camps of people who are probably listening. There is the camp of people who are listening for whom their pets are important aspects of of their families and their lives, um, but their pets. And and then there are the people who are who don't get this topic at all. And then there are the people who are people like us, where no, the pets are not just an important part of the family. They are our family. They are our um, in my world, they are my children. Um, they That's how I see them. So how do you explain to people who are not in the last category how this particular kind of loss can is important and important enough for them to be aware of, even if they don't feel that way? Yeah. So I think for me, you know, coming from my clinical social work background, I'm used to meeting people where they're at. So, you know, if somebody has different belief system than I do, or they have a different set of values, I've really had to learn how to put, you know, myself aside and sort of tune into them. So with this, that's a little bit of a hard question because it is, you know, something that I was, I was processing a loss, like while writing this book. So it was very fresh for me. And I kind of, you know, grouped, I guess, uh, myself into that group in that category of, you know, this was a huge loss, like a devastating loss. And I really needed, you know, to garner support around that. Um, and I think with that, the people that understood gravitated towards me and maybe the people that didn't understand so much 
gravitated away a little bit. So I really didn't have the opportunity to have a lot of those conversations. I didn't have a lot of folks come to me and say, hey, you know, I just don't understand why this is so important to you. I did have a lot of people in my life that were more vocal with the support side uh, than others. So I had some folks that kind of went silent and I thought that was a little bit interesting, but I never approach anything from a judgmental way. So for me, you know, I'm used to taking that sort of non-judgmental stance of if someone doesn't understand, it's okay. But I do them want them to understand that it could be very impactful loss for somebody else in their life. And just to, you know, try to be empathetic, try to be understanding with grief and loss in general. I think that's very hard in our society. I think you have the camp of people that are kind of like, get over it move on? Like, are you over it yet? And you hear a lot of that over and over and not just about pet loss. So I think it is really encouraging that awareness of, you know, grief and loss and that everybody is individual in how they process their loss. So it's kind of like with mental health awareness in general too, is uh, there's a lot of stigma. And so I, I spend a lot of time talking to people about why it's important to be accepting and, you know, validating of others. And we may not agree on something or we may not understand, but we can still have empathy towards that person. So we can try to have empathy. We also talk about, like from the animal communicator's perspective, I'm not seeing as many people from that camp come to me. But in the book, I do explain how it can be healing to connect with your pet at the end of life or even afterwards. Um, And I find that very rewarding isn't the right word, Uh, but I like to be able to offer that comfort to people. I I have a a theory and I'm going to throw it out there and you can both take a whack at it, but I have a theory that the loss of a pet is um, cumulative. And that that theory being that every time I lose a pet, it's worse. It doesn't get better. It, it I have yet to experience that, you know, oh, I'm I've lost five dogs and I can really look back and go dog number three was hardest. Whatever the last one was, was hardest. And so um, when I lost Lindsay, I was a mess. When I lost Raven, I was beyond a mess. And I thought that was the worst thing that was ever going to happen to me in my entire life until I lost Jace. And I've just started to think that, oh, this just accumulates. The, that, the, that we never completely get over it. That... It's it's like when the wound is hit one more time, it's it never actually fully healed. And so the the it's a deeper wound every single time. What do you guys think about that? I would speak to I like to use the word cumulative. I do think loss can definitely feel that way. Is that after one loss, the next loss can feel even harder, and especially with pet loss. So it may not be, you know, I'm not to not to put words in your mouth. It may not be that the next loss is the harder loss, but that it is you've had 
so many cumulative losses that it just gets really hard each time. I don't know if Pat would agree on that, but I've heard a lot about that with respect to somebody, let's say somebody has lost a life partner, a person, a human, and then they've lost a pet shortly after, and that it dredges up all these feelings from the loss of the human that they hadn't processed before. So I'm wondering if it's kind of like that, where it's dredging up some of the feelings from the prior loss again. And so you're having to process everything over plus that new loss. So maybe it's uh, maybe in that respect is feeling harder. I feel like uh, grief remembers grief and uh, it certainly can be triggering. I mentioned in the book that uh, we were writing it during um, and, and I unexpectedly lost and suddenly lost my brother. I actually had to take a break from writing for a while. As as Sarah and I both did, which we we like to say reading the book from cover to cover might be a, a lot, you know, and we we share our stories about how um it was cathartic for us, yet we had to pay attention and take our own advice and and self-care and so on. So I got think I'm kind of trailing off here, <laughs> but yeah, I triggering things, things can be triggered. Um, and I like to think of it as, as grief, remembering grief. Um, if you're just tuning in, uh, I'm Riley Valentine with Angel Tarot Show. I have Sarah Pelizari and Pat Blocker here. They're the authors of the new book, Beyond the Last Work walk saying goodbye navigating grief and healing after the loss of a dog so tell us tell me about the book how is the book structured how did you go about creating this uh how is it a tool for people well it is in designed to be interactive um we share our personal stories so that people we hope will relate to that mm -hmm. um, we have a workbook at the end with um, writing exercises meditations and so on that you can do just to we'd like to have you think that you we're we're walking with you on the path and supporting you and we know that everyone's path is different and unique. So we want to honor that, but we want to know that, uh, want you to know that we're there supporting you from our our spectrum of <laughs> perspectives, so to speak, from animal communication to um, professional dog trainers, knowing dog behavior, and then uh, Claire, uh, Sarah's experience in uh, her clinical work. Sarah, do you want to add? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was spot on. And I would, you know, just kind of elaborate on that is uh, a lot of it is content where we are sharing a lot of, you know, personal anecdotes and stories. That is to help the reader feel validated. So to really feel like we are, you know, we understand, you know, this is a really hard loss. It's not to make them feel overwhelmed kind of going back to before, this is a book that I would say maybe just digest it in pieces. 
Um, anytime that I've read a book on grief and loss for my own personal use, I've really broken it down. Let's just do a few pages at a time. Like, how do I feel about this? And you can even skip around in this book. You don't have to read it, you know, chapter by chapter in order. I think that it's pretty user friendly where you can read the subtitles of the chapter and move around pretty easily within the book. And also the workbook was a nice idea in addition. I think Pat actually thought of the workbook idea. And then I did a lot of the writing in the workbook just from my clinical background based mm -hmm. on some some exercises and ideas that I thought were cathartic and maybe kind of mindful and grounding exercises. With that being said, I think that different things work for different people. And so with the chapters, so we have defining grief, we have exercises and working through grief, talk about euthanasia, meet me while I'm grieving, our workbook. So really you can read those in any order. We did try to structure it so that it is kind of flowing in order, but that if you needed to take a break, that you absolutely could take a break and come back and it would be pretty user-friendly to get back into and engage. So one of the things I did notice in the book, it looks to me like there's it's not just beyond the last walk. And the book has some sections in here that are really about preparing for the last walk. Mm -hmm. And that really talk about the whole difficulty of the decision-making process. And I know that I've seen in my life people who navigated that in my judgment <laughs> uh, well, and people who navigated it very poorly. And where their grief or the fear of their grief made it very difficult for them to make a decision that to anyone else on the outside looking in was clearly overdue being made. Talk, can you talk about that process and talk about in the book what kind of things it leads people through? Uh, let's let's talk about, yeah, some of the things that we walk you through are the decision-making process at the end of life. Uh, the chapter on euthanasia was difficult to write and will probably be difficult to read, but in your time, in the sensitive time, it's even more difficult to make those decisions because they are so painful. Um, we call the chapter euthanasia the final act of love mm -hmm. because we that's what we feel it is. We kind of help you get out of your own way uh, in making the decisions and uh, uh, but we even have like we we talk about at the end of life as far as assessing the quality of life of your animal and uh we even have included a couple of charts on that uh and suggest that you work through those with your veterinarian uh we also have then okay what happens next we talk about cremation versus burial uh and uh some of the questions you might want to ask yourself about the quality of your dog's life and what is going to be best for the dog and what is going to be best for you. Sarah, would you like to add to that? 
I would. I think, you know, we gave these as tools, but also in fairness to people, those are, and I found from personal experience, very tough, like can be very gray areas. It's not always like, it's not always clear and cut and dry. And you see your pet and you're like, okay, I know it's time. Um, you know, for my dog, it was like months of like watching first, like a slow decline and then more steep decline and, you know, asking all these questions. And I, I had good veterinarians. This was right after the pandemic. So everything was kind of up in upheaval, you know, in veterinary care. And I got bounced around a little bit, but, you know, they gave me good tools, you know, tried to, um, you know, assess these things along the way. But all in all, it was still really difficult. And it wasn't until, you know, we were getting close to that. I was like, I know he's really struggling. He can't, you know, walk around the way that he used to. He can't um, get up and down the stairs. He doesn't want to do the things he used to do that brought him quality of life. Like he's st still here, but it's almost like there was a vacancy. So uh, for me, it wasn't until, you know, maybe six months in of this like steady decline that I really knew, you know, at that point. And then talking to the veterinarian affirmed, you know, we're at that point. Um, the veterinarian telling me, that euthanasia would be appropriate at any point moving forward, which put it back in my court, right? Yeah. They weren't saying euthanize right now, but they were saying it would be appropriate because they saw the same decline and the same lack in quality of life that I did. So I do think, you know, it is very individual. We gave these tools, hopefully to be helpful, but also for people to know, sometimes it is good to talk to other people, veterinarians, support groups, when you're making these decisions, because it is very hard to do on your own. It is really hard, you know, to have that perspective, especially when you have your pet there with you every day. Sometimes you don't see things that others might be able to see and point out to you as well. So um, I don't think that people, you know, wait too long on purpose. I, I think yeah. that everyone, you know, generally speaking, has good intentions for their pet. All the people that really love their pets do. Um, sometimes we want to keep them a little bit longer than we should, um, but that those decisions are really complex. And sometimes it, you know, there's a trauma and we can say, yes, like we, there's nothing we can do. But a lot of times with, you know, old age and like illnesses, it's, it looks very different from one pet to another. So. We also talk about caregiver fatigue, uh, mm -hmm. which is, which is a real conversation to have at this time where we want people to understand that it's normal, that you're, you're going to be fatigued emotionally and physically. And so we encourage people to reach out for help. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Pat knows this. Um, but with with Raven, it, she was in decline, and we were really just trying in a lot of ways to get through Christmas. She was we were losing her in, in December. And I just really didn't want Christmas to be wrecked, but she was doing okay with fluids. We had a vet tech that came by every other day. But for me, it became, you know, when you talk about caretaker fatigue, it wasn't fatigue as much as it was. I knew that I was starting to see in Raven's demeanor and in her eyes a look of why are you hurting me so much of uh, because I was having to stick a needle beneath the surface in order to administer uh, fluids um, to keep her functional. And after a while, it became this thing of I'm not going to make it very long because I can't have this creature that one of the very few dogs I ever had from a puppy looking at me and and having this sense of I'm I'm starting to be scared of you because I know you're going to hurt me today and I don't want to and that was for me where it was like okay we are going to make it past christmas but we're not we're not drawing this out because the prognosis is zero she is not going to get better it is not going to happen and and so if she's not going to get better then we're not doing this for her anymore and and so for me, it was a mix of it, I wouldn't call it fatigue as much as I would call it emotional trauma that was being created for both of us <laughs> to have to go through this thing every single day. So I just kind of wanted to like share that just for other people who might find themselves in a similar situation as well. Pat, how do you how do you weave the animal communication into this? And does it happen before and after? It uh, can be before. It can be after. A lot of people, I, I recently did a reading with uh, someone whose dog is at the end of their life. And uh, they're going to have to be making some difficult decisions. And uh, it really was the person I did the reading for said it was really, really comforting to hear how her dog really is feeling. And one of the things was the dog showed me their favorite toy and, and showed me 
running up and, and running around the house with it. And she just indicated to me that she still wants to do that when she feels like it. So the, the person said that that was very comforting to know that she was feeling okay um, and that she wanted to do that whenever she could. And then she later told me that after the last vet visit, uh, she came home and picked up that toy and started running around the house with it because she was feeling very good. Um, so that can be helpful to know if your animal is in pain, like with Raven, we could have had her validate that for you that, you know, I'm doing the best I can, but this is, this is not working very well. And also that people, um, very often people ask about, I'm sure Raven would have said that she knew that you were doing that out of love, but yet, okay, we can only do this for so long. And then afterwards, usually people, um, their main question is, did I do enough? Did I do at the right time? Did, do you know that I loved you? And that is usually very comforting for people to know. Um, I've, I've never had an animal say that they didn't know that they were loved. We, we have a little, uh, a verse from a card that I think is comforting. Um, it's in the book, it says, dogs just know when they are loved, even at the end when their pain becomes too much to bear and we help them to find rest. I think that kind of sums up the animal communication part of it. What What is it about dogs? No, <laughs> don't write, cat people do not write to me, okay? Yes. <laughs> Goldfish well, people don't write to me. I know that everybody has their own thing that they're connected with, but there seems to be even in society some sort of thing that where there's just this human canine thing that happens this connection what is it i think that's a little hard to say i mean we've been integrated with canines for like thousands and thousands of years right. um our relationship with them although i will pause and say like i've heard you know very diverse like from different pets, you know, or different people with different varieties of pets that they had a strong bond. But I think what you're pointing to is, you know, with dogs, they're so integrated in our daily lives. You know, we have to do a lot of like uh, higher level caregiving for them. A lot of times they need to go outside or they can go to a lot of different places with us. So they really become a part of our daily routine. I think that that's, you know, that constant presence and their level of intuitiveness and of course every dog is an individual but they kind of have that level of intuitiveness and sort of that unconditional you know loyalty and caring and love for um their person which i think that bond is just really strong with a lot of people and their dogs i i was wanting to mention i think this is okay sarah because it's in the book but when sarah lost her dog putter she also lost her co-therapist 
because she mm-hmm. does uh, animal assisted therapy in her practice. So that mm-hmm. there's a, there's a whole section on how that um, how losing a working dog, and then also we address the surviving pets. Well, oh, thank you for saying that. Go ahead. Yeah, because you're likely to see behavioral changes in your surviving dogs. Right. I think that's really important to acknowledge. And, you know, was he was a co-therapist for me, but not my only co-therapist. I have another therapy dog as well. And so that, you know, played a big, a big part of that loss too, but also I had a dog that I traveled with a lot. I mean, even, you know, flew with once across the country to go do volunteer work together. And uh, we competed in canine nose work together. So we traveled all over the place. So, you know, it was really a kind of a loss on a lot of different levels for me because a lot of things that I did on a day-to-day basis and a lot of special things that I did changed pretty drastically. And so I think I hear that from a lot of dog owners is, you know, all of these different ways, you know, their dog was a part of their life and how that was impacted, that changes. So I think it is different for each individual. So I just wanted to ask another question. You you may or may not cover this in the book, and if you don't, that's fine. But we've also experienced um, um, in our household a couple of situations where people are trying to navigate that whole thing of, okay, we lost a dog. When do we get another dog? And there seems to be in our experience so much by energy put in by people who are thinking, oh, it's too soon. I can't do this. And I feel like it's, there's this this sense of, uh, oh, I'll hurt their feelings. Oh, I will dishonor their memory. I will, you know, kinds of things that are very um, humanized, you know, in many ways. And yet my personal experience has been that, A, you're not diminishing another dog by getting another dog. Your past dog wants you to be happy. Sometimes you have no choice. I didn't have any choice. Raven sent Riley to us within weeks and there was no denying it. We didn't have a choice. I mean, it was pretty much just like in your face, here's your, here's your dog. Um, and that was hard for us. And yet um, it was a very educational experience for us in a way that's allowed us to be able to talk to other people and say, you can decide it's too soon. You can decide, but make that decision on yourself, not based on the other dog. And, and also, kind of like maybe try to leave your heart open for the fact that maybe the universe has other plans for you. Pat, do you want to comment on that? Well, we do address that in the book and you pretty much said it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that there's really anything to add to that other than, you know, really you must follow your heart. It's different for everyone. I know people who, are looking for another dog before their current dog passes, which is fine. That's the that's the decision for them. For me personally, it always seems like it's around four months. But as you say, sometimes it, it presents itself with my dog Penny. 
after I had lost my uh, German Shepherd Jude, like the next day, my friend sent me this photo of this beautiful German Shepherd that her friend had. And I'm like, whoa, 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 <laughs> you know. And in that situation, it was a special situation. And I thought, you know what? If this dog is supposed to come to me, then she will. And so when I started feeling like I was ready, I contacted that person. And yes, uh, Penny was still available. And um, that's how she came into my life. So I, I do feel like that the right dog will show up at the right time but mostly follow your heart. Um, at the same time, though, we do have to consider the survive if you have a surviving dog, and Sarah addresses that as to um, getting another working partner, but also what her dog, Lyra, needed. And Sarah, if you have anything else to say about that, yeah, I mean, I do think there can be a level of serendipity to all of this where, yes, there can be another dog or another pet who comes along at the right time or is just the right fit. I do think, again, everybody processes loss very differently. So when you say listen to your heart, I think that is speaking to that as well as what some of us need more time than others. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we are so grief stricken initially that it takes a while to get to that point where we could open our hearts and you know have some you know welcome a new pet and and feel love for a new pet so i think acknowledging that you know everybody's stages and everybody's phases of grief are going to look different some people i've heard you know it's been years and they haven't gotten another dog and that's okay like that that's just where they're at you know, I did, I lost a working partner and then I have, you know, his successor, Putter's successor, Lyra. So Lyra is nine years old. And so if you are listening and you don't know a lot about therapy and, and service related animals, usually around, you know, eight to 10 years is when they start looking at retirement. So even for Lyra, I started looking at retirement and I knew um, back in 2021, towards the end of the year that I was going to need to start looking for another successor, even though I still had both my dogs living at that time. So I had Putter and Lyra, and Lyra is still alive today. So I did, I was more proactive just because I knew it was going to affect that that work piece for me. But that doesn't mean that it was uh, by any means easier. It was just more of, you know, there's some necessity there. I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm going to give myself the grace to really take my time and process through all of my feelings. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, it was a journey. It was very like personal journey to figure out when was the right time to be able to welcome another dog into my life and to make sure that I was really ready, you know, because even though they're a working partner, again, they're so integrated in every piece of your life. You really, you want to be ready for that. Um, I think it's beautiful that some folks are ready sooner and able to open up their hearts and really want, you know, especially I hear that with rescue dogs, they really want to be able to help another dog out. I think that's a beautiful thing, but I would never feel pressured or want anyone else to feel pressured to, you know, get another pet or another dog before they're ready. So yeah. I think it is a lot of tuning in. And I think we even have that as like a chapter 
subtitle or section is tuning in with yourself and really understanding where you're at. I think that's really important in the grief process. And Faith is saying hello, by the way. (laughs) So, all right. So again, the book is called Beyond the Last Walk, Saying Goodbye, Navigating Grief and Healing After the Loss of a Dog. The authors are Pat Blocker and Sarah Pelizari. Thanks so much for guys for stopping by. Why don't you tell people where you can, they can find you guys. They can um, find the book on Amazon. Also, I have it up on my website, which is www.theanimalspeak.com. That's animal speak with one S. Uh, So it's available there. Um, You can find me on Facebook. You can just search for The Animal Speak, which is my um, animal communication business. You can also find my uh, dog trainer website, which is www.peacefulpaws.net. Paws is in P-A-W-S, Peaceful yes. Paws. <laughs> and what about you, Sarah? Where do they find you? Yeah, so I'm I'm rooted in Southern Colorado. So for my in-person services, I'm in Colorado Springs. Um, I do practice virtually, so I'm available for virtual online support for both uh, therapy and for dog training. But my email is a great way to reach me if you'd like to reach out. It's therapydogtraining at yahoo.com. I am on Facebook. I'm SoCo, so that's for Southern Colorado, S-O-C-O, positive, which is (laughs) P-A-W-S-I-T-I-V-E, dog training and animal assisted therapy. I know it's kind of a long one. So, SoCo positive dog training and animal assisted therapy is my Facebook handle for my business. And then LinkedIn, you can find me just Sarah Pelizari. My last name is P-E-L-L-I-Z-Z-A-R-I. Thanks, ladies. I really appreciate you being on today. Uh, For those of you who are headed into the holiday season, congratulations, you made it. It is the season of light. I know that I am totally stoked and I'm working on decorating right now. Um, In the meantime, I do have something special going on. I have created this new class um, uh, called um, Archangel Academy. Um, It's on sale right now and you can find out all about it by going to RadleyValentine.com forward slash sale. But it's a whole bunch of videos on working with the 15 primary archangels that are out there. In the meantime, if you've been watching this on YouTube, it's been great to see you. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I hope that you got all kinds of information that you were able to assimilate into your beautiful little heads to bring out, help you to bring more peace into your life regarding this very important conversation. Again, this has been Radley Valentine with the Angel Tarot Show. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to The Angel Tarot Show with Radley Valentine. To discover more, visit RadleyValentine.com slash podcast. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition 
and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.